Welcome to the Weekend Booktopian, our podcast on all things book news and the books that we are reading and enjoying. I'm Nick Wasiliev, the social media specialist here at Booktopia, and I'm joined today by our senior content producer and editor of the Booktopian blog via the airwaves, Olivia Frieka. Hello, Liv. Hi, Nick. Our campaign manager, Samantha Joyce. Hello, Sam. Hi, Nick. And our assistant category manager for nonfiction, Cassandra Sharp. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Very good, very good. Um, as with all episodes, we'll kick off by diving into the world of book news and then discuss the books that we've been reading and enjoying. And then be sure to stick around to the end when my guests will go head to head in a battle for book supremacy in, that we like to call the book fight. So kicking us off in terms of the news today, uh, the first big news uh, off the rank is the Stella Shortlist, which was, is the literary award for Australian women and non-binary writers, which was unveiled earlier this week. Um, Liv, have any of these books that are part of this shortlist, have they surprised you? Are you surprised by these results? Uh, I mean, a little bit. Like some of them are ones that I, haven't, um, that I hadn't heard of really or that weren't on my radar until they were long-listed. Um, mostly just um, also the books that you know are now on my radar that I really want to read. So, like the one I guess that surprised me was Arden, The World and the Whale by Rebecca Giggs, um, which is just kind of a deep dive into the lives of whales and like the conditions in the seas. And I love whales; they're one of my favorite animals. So, I would love it if that one took, um, took out the prize. But yeah, there's like I think the one that I'm not surprised to see on there is um, the animals in that country, Laura Jean McKay. We've talked like ad nauseum about how much we love this book. So we're not, let's not dwell on that. But that, I think, is a front runner at this stage in terms of ones that we know and we're expecting. Um, but it's just, it's such a great list. We have um, Witness, Louise Milligan, There's um, mm-hmm. Stone Sky, Gold Mountain by Mirandi Rewo. Um, I'm not surprised to see that one on the list. She's been a Stella Prize nominee before, um, and that book was getting a little bit of love um, outside of the mainstream circles, which is really lovely to see. Um, I guess The Base Rock by Edie Wilde is kind of a wild card. Mm. Sorry, that was really bad fun, and it literally <laughs> came to me in the last five seconds. Because, um, yeah, because that long list was packed with so many, like, major, major favourites. Like, there was Jesse Two. Um, Lonely Girls a Dangerous Thing. I know that got a lot of love and that didn't make it through. So I was surprised. Um, not at the expense of Evie Wilde, of course, but like, mm. you, that's the beauty of the seller prize. You never know what they're going to do. It's unpredictable, um, which is how it should be, really. Um, so this is a great long, uh, great short list. Sorry. Yeah, it so, is. Yeah, it is. And I'm going to throw to you now, Sam, because I know that you have read a couple of these books too. I mean, I've read one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Which is the animals in that country. And for me, it's really interesting because my reading tastes don't normally align with um, sort of award shortlisted or, or, or longlisted books. Um, yeah. So it was it was really interesting to me that oh, the, you know, this is really my first time going, oh, cool, you know, this award com- is coming up. And I've actually read one of the one of the books on there and, you know, wondering, you know, which of them is going to win. Um, and, and like you, Liv, uh, I sort of looked at the list and thought, oh, cool, I should really check out Witness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though it's a bit outside of my box, um, Animals in That Country was a little bit outside my box, uh, but it had a really cool mm-hmm. concept. So, yeah, I think it's just a great way to discover, you know, new reads that you might not have picked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree, I agree. Um, we will back be- at the list, I really also do really want to read Revenge, Murder in Three Parts, mm. um, because I love Revenge. That sounds fun. Great concept. Um, I'm really excited to finally pick up Witness by Louise Milligan because she has been um, someone who's generated a lot of attention and buzz just recently. Yeah. Yeah, because of her investigations into government matters and stuff like that. And I'm really curious to see what her long-form book is like. Yeah, agreed. It's it's a fascinating it's a fascinating list, not just by the the books that made it, but also by like you mentioned, Liv, the, the books that there were some great books in that long list, and there were some that we thought would make it, um, but uh, but were omitted, which was very interesting. Um, we will be doing a podcast uh, on this in a bit more, going into a bit more detail on it early next week, so be sure to to check out uh, that. But moving on to our second news piece of the week. Um, 
which is the keeping to, with the awards theme. The New South Wales uh, Premier Literary Awards uh, lists have also been dropped. And while there are way too many categories uh, to go over, if in one episode, Cass, um, what were your picks uh, in terms of some of the uh, some of the awards? Particularly, I know you mentioned the uh, the People's Choice Award as well. Um, I'm just having a look through because there's so many titles to choose from. Like, <laughs> how do you pick one? Um, I'm seeing some recognisable ones that people in um, our fiction department have raved about, like A Roommate of Leaves mm. and um, The Weekend, which oh, our yeah, sure. buying manager, Joe, absolutely <laughs> raved about, um, and The Dictionary of Lost Words mm. for the Christina Stead Prize for Fiction. There's a bunch of other incredible books in the lists for consideration. Um, so this year, 30 judges considered 633 entries across 10 prize categories, which is like there's been so many amazing books in the last year or so. It's hard to know where you'd even start. Um, there's other ones that I definitely need to make some time to read because I've been on my TBR for a very long time, <laughs> like um, The Coconut Children by Viv- um, Vivian Pham which mm. it's got an incredible cover. It sounds hilarious. And I just really love her author bio. <laughs> <which> <laughs> it includes like a nod to her university studies where she's like, oh, um, the rest of this bio will be provided when she has reached like the full <laughs> range of this unit or something. Um, <laughs> Song of the Crocodile by Nadi Simpson, which I've heard incredible things about. Um, and there's also prizes for script writing and playwriting, which I personally didn't know. But I think that's also quite cool. So there's plenty of great stuff to dive into in the Literary Awards shortlist this year. Yeah, it looks like a, a lot of exciting stuff is happening there. And it's it's there's so many great books in there. I've also noticed that the Evelyn Wilde book's also in that People's Choice Award uh, selection as well, the uh, the Bass Rock, um, which I think is very interesting. It'll be interesting if she, if she takes out both the Stellar and the, uh, and the New South Wales Premier Literary Award, racking up the awards. Um, which is interesting, mm. but um, for for everyone listening, the winners of those uh, of the New South Wales Premier Literary Awards will be announced on the twenty seventh of April, on, on, which is a Tuesday um, at eleven thirty. It's part of the Sydney Writers Festival, um, at, and it'll be announced at the Sydney at the State Library of New South Wales or online as well. So you'll be able to check that out wherever you enjoy your books. Um, and speaking of uh, writers festivals, our last news topic uh, is. The program for the Brisbane Writers Festival also dropped um, this week uh, for 2021. And I'll turn to you, Sam, uh, to give us a bit of background on this one. Who are some of the incredible writers and events that we can expect at this event? Oh, actually, it's a really, really great program. Um, so Brisbane Writers Festival will be running from the Friday the 7th of May for three days. And this year, it's really interesting to me that they've got a really big mix of online and physical events. Now, mm. obviously, we're based in Sydney, you know, can't often head up to, you know, cross the border to, to go to some of those out-of-state events. So I'm really intrigued by a lot of the online events, some of the uh, amazing authors that are going to be attending either, you know, online or in person. Helen Garner. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, Julia Baird of Phosphorescence. <laughs> Phosphorescence. <laughs> it's a hard word to say and spell. <laughs> Anita Heiss. Um, Victoria Hannon of Kokomo. Oh, yeah. Amy Kaufman, mm. Pip Williams. Uh, and there's a really huge array of different types of events. You know, you have book-focused events with the authors. You have themed events with panels, mixes of authors or discussing different uh, themes in, in, in books and in writing. And then you've also got some workshops as well. One of the events um, which was really intriguing to me, there's one about net privacy, so online privacy. Yes, that one looked cool. Wow. Yeah, and basically all about how, you know, exploring how our lives are tracked and monitored, how private selves are sort of collected and sold, how much do we understand about this and what can be done to avoid a dystopian future. Or, if you're an author, how does this influence <laughs> <laughs> it's a possible dystopian future in your upcoming novel. Hmm. So it's a, a lot of really interesting events that I think you know can, could spark a lot of ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, the online events seem to be really accessible. I think they're about $15 tickets, so I'm going to definitely be checking out a few. Yeah, agreed. It's. I mean, we, we saw this with this when the Sydney Writers Festival was around, announced a few weeks back, mm. and I'm just loving that the Brisbane Writers Festival as well is getting on the idea of, of physical events, but also yeah. just online events in this kind of post-COVID world. I think that accessibility yeah. is actually kind of leading to a lot of really great adaptation in terms of the content and that is going out. 
Then um, we can all join in. Yeah, then we can all go join in. So if, if we can't make it to Brisbane, you mm. can still check out uh, some of the events, um, which is which is fantastic. So for anyone listening, especially if you are in the Brisbane area, be sure to check out the Brisbane Writers' Festival, which will kick off from the May 7th to the 9th. Um, there'll be a lot of fantastic events there that Sam has mentioned as well as online. Be sure to, in- be sure to check it out. So we'll dive into the books that we are reading and enjoying now um, over the uh, over the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to turn to you first, Cass. Oh, hello. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, kind of throw you off <laughs> the loop okay. there, um, because I I always love the books that you're reading and enjoying. Um, Thank you. What uh, What have you brought for us this week? Um, so I brought a few things. So I recently finished um, a book I found on NetGalley called Make Your Art No Matter What by. Beth Pickens, and she's a counsellor who works exclusively with people who are creative, like artists, and helps them like apply for grants and stuff. And it's really, it's been described as like the millennials, um, the artist's way by Julia Cameron, mm-hmm. which I don't know, Nick, if you've read it, but no, like... I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. It's like this book that a lot of people who are creative um, like go and work through because there's like different exercises and the first week is like take yourself out on an artist date and there was this running joke on autostraddle that like everyone had just read the first chapter and like never gone back (laughs) anyway make your art no matter what is um, a lot more accessible it's a lot shorter the exercises in it are very practical Um, she delves into stuff like um, not thinking that you're good enough uh, making time for your art um, making money for or to support your art because a lot of people feel like you know unless you're earning like your whole life's work through doing creative things that like you're not really an artist and stuff like that. Um, She examines the different intersectionalities of identity and like whose voices um, have the easiest way to get into the industry and like networking and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's super short. It's honestly, I just, I loved it. I'm going to buy a copy of it. Like, it's great. Has it helped out with you and, and your art? Because I know, like, you, when you're on your breaks and stuff, you like to, like, do drawings and I everything. I do, right? yeah. Um, one of the exercises she has you do is, like, it made me so uncomfortable. I didn't do it for, like, three days. And it was like, okay, make a spreadsheet of all the people that you know and all of the skills that they have that they can offer to help you with. Mm. And that just made me so uncomfortable. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't ask people things. <laughs> Which is, it's just like, that's probably what's come up. But the thing is that, like, you know lots of people who know lots of things. Mm. And, like, they'd probably be able and happy to help you. And then thinking about, like, opportunities you want to go for. Or, in my case, Instagram challenges I want to draw to. And stuff like that. And just kind of, like, plotting it all out and putting it in one spot. Sounds like this is an artist's go-to motivator. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Um... And she also brings a bit of her identities as a queer woman and as a um, as someone who's Jewish as well to the table. But she definitely flags that in her workshops and stuff, um, particularly in finances, like some people who are like people of colour or from different backgrounds might not, um, what's the word? She might not be the right person to discuss those sort of things with. They need to find someone who is a more relatable voice to them, mm-hmm. okay. which is quite interesting. Um, Liv has heard a little bit about my thoughts on Judith Lucy's incredible book, Turns Out I'm Fine. It's got, okay, first of all, her video for, um, her announcement video, amazing. (laughs) The cover, incredible. It just, it pops. It's like an Andy Warhol, like, art Mm. pop thing. Mm. Um, the memoir itself is really great. So Judith Lucy talks about how it seems like everything was fine. Um, except it wasn't, and she kind of goes back to um, her family dynamics, growing up adopted but also in a family that um, had a lot of, like, undercover misogyny that she didn't really recognise until she was a lot older and kind of thought, well, you know, obviously that didn't affect me, except it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of shows up in all of her <laughs> other relationships. Um, and, yeah, she talks about how basically the catalyst for her life and her existential crisis is that she finally had a boyfriend who she loved and adored and she was ready to move in with him and then they broke up in spectacular fashion and then she kind of just went a little bit off the rails um it's incredibly funny it's super timely like it touches on me too and um feminism there's even a chapter on nanette by hannah gadsby and how that made her feel from like a comedian standpoint but also like as a person (laughs) who's also friends with hannah gadsby um which Awesome. Jealous. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's just, it's a great, 
memoir, I could relate to a lot of it, particularly the bad dating stories, because I feel like I've had a lot of them in 2020. (laughs) And I feel like she's so warm and so herself on the page. It feels like she's the cool child-free aunt that like wouldn't bullshit you about anything. She would just tell you the horrible story. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And finally, I am reading... Um, Sex, Lies, and Question Time by Kate Ellis, which, oh, again, yes. super timely. Um, it just Parliament just seems to be in utter chaos at the moment. And she is a former um, MP who's written a book talking to women from all sides of the aisle about um, sexism and harassment. And she goes into, like, the absolute barrage of abuse and crap that women in Parliament put up with every day, which we see, like, snippets of people on the news and we think we know them and we can make comments about them and stuff. But like the stuff that they get while doing their job is astounding. Um, and she goes into things like there were rumors about her in particular because she was so young um, and like rumors and slut shaming are really weaponized in government. And like people from your own parties will leak stories about you that aren't true. And wow. like um, she talks about Sarah Hanson Young who She'd basically been, like, harassed at work every time she stood up in question time for, like, six months to a year. And then someone, like, was screaming at her and calling her a slut or something, and she just cracked it. And she sued him for defamation, and she won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is incredible. But, like, also, why would why do you have to do that? Like, this is supposed to be, like, the most powerful place in our country. Mm. And the people who represent us are supposed to be representative of the people, which is something she gets into, Yeah. Um, which is that the diversity mix is not particularly great and we need, like, a bigger pool of people who actually reflect our community, not just, you know, straight white guys who are doctors or lawyers. Yeah, people come from the same, you know, postgraduate course. Mm. She mentioned... Um, or unis. Yeah, she mentioned in the... Uh, I think we, we we all saw a... There was a, an open event where she talked about the book uh, yeah. online and she talked about how it, this is an institution that was founded by rich white men run and it's uh it's to to benefit rich white men and that to this day it is still run and controlled by rich white men yeah which i thought was incredibly Mm. it's incredible it's on the money and she talks about um like not just the mix of people in parliament but also how um like even things like appearance work against women in a way that um like, it doesn't for men. Like, you can wear the same boring suit and tie and no one cares. And I think Carl Stepanovic did that or something yeah, for a year. Yeah, he did an experiment and no one noticed. Yeah, because it's so important. Yeah. But, like, any female minister, like, either she looks too slutty or it's not appropriate or yeah. she looks like an old lady or you don't take her seriously yeah. and it undercuts, like, whatever it is that she's saying. Yeah. Um, I, I think the question time thing is really interesting because I've, I've seen clips of it and it's just people yelling <laughs> And it seems mm. to be really unprofessional and I don't understand why it's allowed, but apparently it's part of some kind of tradition, like it's just what they do. Oh, I don't know. But I think they probably need to change the way they go about, like, question, you know, question time, you know, maybe it shouldn't, you shouldn't be allowed to yell, you know, um, slurs at people. I mean, I think that's just mm. basic manners and the yeah. fact that it's not a thing is astounding I to me. I challenge people, sure, Considering you know, criticise them, critique them, but, like, have some manners about it. Yeah. Considering it's the, it's meant to be the centre of our country's democracy. Yes, of it people seems, it seems yeah. like a bunch of boys yelling at each other at lunch. <laughs> yeah, it's not professional. And you look at it and you're just like, oh, my God. Mm. Like, this these is are our to leaders. Be, yeah, these are our leaders. These are our people who we're trusting to make decisions for, like, the country or, like, the state's best interests or whatever. And it's like... It's just like a schoolyard where everyone's screaming at each other and Mm. women are just being treated terribly. Mm. And it feels like every time you open Twitter or you look at the news, like something new has happened, none of it's been dealt with because we're still looking at the new thing. I'm just glad it's coming out now. It's so timely, particularly considering all the latest controversies that have have rocked Canberra over the last few weeks. It's just to reinforce that there is, hopefully it will actually lead to some constructive, positive change. Yeah. because it just because people the problem with the news cycle I think right now is that people it'll, there'll be all these controversies that are mentioned but then they'll go away. Yeah. But the problem is that what's I think what you mentioning you're touching on this with this book is that these this is this is how it goes mm. and this is how it has gone for a while and it requires much more substantial considerable change by people in the building. Oh, definitely. 
Mm. Thank you so much, um, Cass. Absolutely love those recommendations and highly recommended that we check those books out. Um, but I will now jump onto the airwaves and turn to you, Olivia, um, my, my fellow Hi. Weekend Booktopian host. Uh, what, have you been, uh, what have you been enjoying um, over the last few weeks? Um, well, I've been dipping into the Women's Prize for Fiction long list, which is the UK version of the Stella Prize, UK equivalent. Um, and la- last week when I was hosting, I said that I had uh, Luster by Raven Leilani mm. uh, up next on my queue, and I devoured that within two days. Um, oh. so, yeah, so this book is about a young African-American 23-year-old woman named Edie. She's worked works in like children's publishing as like one of two black people in the entire yes. company. Yes, I've um, heard about this and just, one. Yeah, um, it, this, I did not see this book coming, really. Like, <laughs> it sounds amazing. Um, she's kind of, yeah, so she's kind of stuck in her life. She, you know, dated a whole bunch of terrible people. And she meets Eric, who is this older married man whose wife has agreed to an open open up the marriage so that they can date other people and the novel follows what happens when she finds herself gradually drawn into his life until the point where she's literally living in his house with him and his wife and their adopted daughter who is black who uh, is basically the only black person in that neighborhood um she doesn't have anyone to show her how to do her hair um and she just kind of hasn't got many friends and um even forms this friendship with her while also just forming this really weird relationship with Eric's wife, um, Rebecca, um, who is actually one of the most interesting characters in the novel. Uh, this book, like, it's, I guess it's an adultery novel, even though it's an open marriage. There's still that weird, like, you know, sexual politics going on, if, you know, being the girlfriend, living in your boyfriend's wife's house. Um, but it was really funny, as well as being, like, sucker-punching you every couple of pages with some really sharp, uh, insight um, like I loved the final scene by the time we got there it just you felt like you'd gone on this journey it was, it's a weird book it's really funny um, but also like kind of punch it's one of those books that punctures the, the publishing industry and it came at a really pivotal time last year like right in the middle of the um, Black Lives Matter movement and how publishing itself was facing a bit of a reckoning um, but yeah, I really enjoyed Luster. Um, I listened to the audiobook version, as I said, and it was read by Ariel Blake, um, who has an amazing voice, and I really, really loved how she narrated it. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend Luster by Raven Milani. Um, I read a couple of other things, uh, but the one that I kind of am the most interested to talk about is one that I'm yet to read, and it's one that I'm, I've literally just started it, starting it today, um, and it's called the Wolf and the Woodsman by Ava Reed. Oh, so yeah. this is, yeah, this is a fantasy novel. Um, it's a debut novel, and it's kind of based on Hungarian folklore. Um, I love those kind of Slavic, Eastern European-based fantasies um, uprooted by Naomi Novak. Readers might remember that's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, but this one's based on that kind of Hungarian and Jewish folklore. And it's about this, young girl named Pike, I think I'm saying that right. It's V-I-K-E. So if I'm saying that incorrectly, please do let me know. Um, But she lives in this pagan village on the edge of this evil forest. Um, And she's the only woman woman in her village without power. And so she's kind of treated as an outcast. And when soldiers arrive from what's something called the Holy Order of the Woodsmen to claim claim a girl for a blood sacrifice to the king... um, the villagers essentially betray Vice and like render her to be um, be sacrificed. Oh, so, and, <laughs> I took a turn. Yeah, it took a massive turn. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I know. Um, but you can kind of see how those uprooted vibes are coming, and you know the girl chosen yeah. to, you know. Um, but what happens is, um, while en route to the king's castle, they're um, they're basically ambushed and. Um, like, and I haven't read this yet, so I'm not like 100% clear on the story. But basically, she takes um, Bike takes up with um, the woodsman who turns out to be the disgraced prince who's kind of on a mission to bring down his brother who he thinks is going to try and usurp the throne. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, I've written down the title, Wolf and the Woodsman. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Sam, Sam's eyes lit up the moment you started talking about it. And like, she just gets a pen out, right? I'm, right, I'm making a note of this, I'm writing it down. I, I know. Well, this, one's not, this one's not out through August, so I got this through NetGalley. Um, but I'm sure if you talk to our good friends at Penguin, Sam, we'd be able to get your copy. Um, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to this one. It's been a while since I've read like full on you know, like immersive, like this kind of fantasy. Um, I've been kind of next deep in urban fantasy recently, and this is a nice change. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I came across it on Twitter of all places. Like I try and avoid Twitter these days, but um, I think I was on Emily Duncan's profile. Emily writes the um, Something Dark and Holy series, which is another kind of Slavic-based fantasy YA trilogy that I love. Um, and she was raving about this book. She happened to read it earlier. And, and that's how I found The Wolf and the Woodsman by Ava Reed. I'm really keen to read it. And it sounds like I've already gotten some other people keen to read it too. Yeah. Well, I know, selling live. I know that uh, <laughs> Sarah, when, when she heard that you were reading this, um, absolutely was uh, head over heels for like wanting to, know, yeah. wanting to know what happens and wanting to know it because I know that she's been uh, keep, mm. getting her, keeping yeah, her Sarah eyes on Yeah, Sarah and I have been... Karen and I have been chatting about this. And <laughs> I'm actually supposed to be reading A Portrait of a Lady for Uni by Henry James. And I'm like, I've read that before. It's fine. I'll, I can, I, I've got two, two more weeks to read that. So I'm going to read this wolfish fantasy, fantasy book instead. Living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Liv. Amazing, amazing recommendations. Um, lastly, Ooh. I will turn to Sam, who now has a new recommendation to add to her <laughs> and has a new book to add to her list of what she will be reading. Um, but what have you been enjoying uh, over the last couple of weeks? Um, so I've started reading, or sorry, I should say, I literally just finished reading uh, Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah. And this turned out to be the perfect book for me in the last few weeks because I feel like I go through periods where I'm reading, you know, two books a week and then I am read. I can barely get through, you know, the, a couple of chapters in a week. So uh, it ended up being the perfect book for me because it's almost like it's a series of short stories. Um, so you, I can just read one or two and I can feel like I can stop when the story, you know, um, is over and I can put it away and it's okay, I can come back to it and, you know, it's, it's there waiting for me. Um, and Neil, he writes so well. He's, he's such a fantastic mm. writer. And this, this book is, it's, it's retellings of, you know, mini myths and stories from um, the Norse legends. You've got Odin, you know, you've got all of the, you know, Freya, Frigg, all of the main characters, Loki, of course, <laughs> you know, Thor's there with Mjolnir. Um, and it's a really great set of stories that do have a bit of an arc. It does, as a collection, there is almost a beginning and a middle and an end of the Aesir and, the, you know, the Norse gods. Norse gods. The Norse gods. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what is this accent you started to I don't know. Yeah, it's, 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 the, the book's made you pick up an accent. Um, but, you know, it, it, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, the way, the way Neil writes it, um, you know, it's a, he's using the, a new translation or he's using a translation of the Poetic Edda, so the original poems, which were probably written down based on a long, long history of verbal you know, storytelling of these myths and it really does feel like you sit, you're sitting down around a fire, Neil Gaiman's there, you know, <laughs> he's telling you this story and it's just, it's very... You've got some mead. <laughs> got some mead. Yeah, it feels very much like someone is telling you this story. It feels very personal, which I love. I love that kind of style. Um, and once I finished that, I started reading um, The Rise of Kiyoshi. Oh, mm. Avatar? Yes, an yes. Avatar book. Sorry, I should oh. say. Um, Kiyoshi was like the coolest character when I was watching it. it like just, her whole, shadow? just her whole backstory. My apologies. <laughs> it's actually, so I started reading The Shadow of Kiyoshi, which is the sequel to The Rise of Kiyoshi. It is in the Avatar, it is in the Avatar um, universe. universe. Uh, and as you all know, I got very much back into um, Avatar and The Legend of Korra uh, during our period of you know, <laughs> lockdown and, and working from home because it was just the, the perfect farm. <laughs> and yeah, if, and, if you, and I got into it and then it end, and I ended it and I was like, oh, I, could start, I could start watching it again, you know, because I wanted more. But, you know, the, these novels by um, FCE are great. They read just like... The show. The show. Like they, oh, that's great. they give you such a sense of the show. Liv, you definitely need to, to pick these up. Like they are set a couple hundred years before Aang. 
Um, yeah. you know, two avatars before Kiyoshi. She's cool. She's yeah, she's, she's strong. She's a badass earthbender, and her her history and her story is really interesting. So, um, the shadow of Kiyoshi picks up um, a couple of months after the rise of Kiyoshi, when she's been revealed as the avatar. Um, but she's still got problems to solve and there's mystery and there's new characters and it's really about her, you know, coming into her own and into her um, avatar, avatardom. And yes, she does stomp around in her full avatar regalia all the time and she's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I love it. I think it, it's a really, it's a book that's easy to read. Mm. Like it, it just, you, it just takes you along this ride and before you know it, you've read three chapters and it's 11.30 at night and you've got to go to bed. Whoops. <laughs> I was going to say, did you see um, Eugene Lee Yang from um, Try Guys? He did that reel or like Insta story or TikTok or something of mm-hmm. him. He like chucks a boot up and then suddenly he like transforms into Kiyoshi and like full. Oh no. my God. Let's send me this link. <laughs> Is it Kiyoshi or maybe it was Zuko? I can't remember. Maybe he did both. They're very different, but I'm but yeah, with him, I think it would have been Kiyoshi. Yeah, any kind of any kind of avatar content is fine by me. <laughs> I think maybe it was Kiyoshi <laughs> and he did like a cosplay of Zuko, but like Yeah. No, Kiyoshi's cool. And I did hear as well cool. that um uh, Nickelodeon has launched Avatar Studios. So we Ooh. can expect even more in the Avatar mm. universe being developed. Um, and hopefully more books as well. While the Shadow mm. of Kiyoshi is the final in this duology. Um, there's heaps of comics, you know, that expand the universe. That they are all canon, um, mm. and hopefully even more books as well. So highly recommended for any of the Avatar fans. I've seen a lot of book mm. internet people being like very excited about the graphic novels, and I mm. think yeah. was there a Netflix like they were going to do another live adaptation? I swear there was going to be a Netflix adaptation, but I think the original creators of Avatar left the project, which yeah. is worrying. Not sure. Yes, it happened again. Up. Again, we don't yeah. want to, we don't want to talk about the first time that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Apparently, they, apparently there is that adaption, live action adaption, but they have left the project, so we shall see. Um, yeah. But uh, lower your expectations right now and just read the, the book. books <laughs> and the comics. Look, considering how the first one turned out, surely they can't do any worse. Surely. Dude, knock on some wood. Mm. Like, Tuck don't, on even, s- don't even. <laughs> don't play with Avatar. <laughs> don't play with Avatar. Yeah, it'll be like famous last words when it comes out. Yes. And if it is bad, you'll come, you come to me and be like, it was you all you along. This. You, you did this. Night Shyamalan in again. Yeah. <laughs> it was Nicholas all along. <laughs> Thank you so much. Amazing, amazing recommendations as always. And I love that um, we're talking Avatar once again. And I feel like we haven't mentioned Avatar enough on this podcast. So thank you very much. I, this is the first time I've ever talked about Avatar on this podcast. In like how many episodes? Like nearly 50? We, we, we were talking about this. We were actually talking about this in last week's episode um oh. where no 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 no, not avatar how we how we'd done i think we're on like episode 38 or 37 or whatever mm. and um last week we said we'd never we'd got through that many episodes without even mentioning outlander once <laughs> and now i feel like yeah. this we, we haven't mentioned this is the first time we've mentioned avatar so shame on us mm. <laughs> mm. um thank you so much um for sam and everyone else for their amazing recommendations but it is time to move on to the infamous part of the show that we are all terrified of. It is time for Book Fight. So just before I begin, uh, I will grab a buzzer from every single one of you and I'll throw to you first. Cass, what shall your buzzer be? Avatar. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Liv? Um, I'm gonna go with Wolf. Wolf? Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Sweet. And Sam, what shall yours be? Uh, Thor. The mighty Thor. Yes. (laughs) fantastic awesome i think we are all set to go let's play a book fight question one what is the book that is currently up for contention in both the stellar shortlist and the new south wales premier literacy awards people's choice award list what yep (laughs) 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 how dare you ask me oh man um, is it The Base Rock by Evie Wilde? It is The Base Rock by Evie Wilde. Yay. Well done, Olive. Straight on money there. Mm-hmm. Maybe Quest- I should howl instead of wolf. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to say wolf. It's, it just sounds like wolf here. Either way, it's a great buzzer, and I, and I think you should keep it. <laughs> <laughs> question two, and this is a question that I am is going to provoke an interesting response, and I'm so curious how it's going to go, but that's why we have this quiz. In which country was the first novel ever written? 
Japan. Well, Seoul, Japan. Oh my god, you got it! <laughs> Sam actually studied Sorry. Japanese and like. I'm genuinely Japan. serious. The answer is in fact Japan. Of course. I thought it was China. No, no. Japan. Um, I'm actually willing, if you know what, what it is, I'm willing to give you an extra point. Genji no Monogatari. Oh. Oh, the Tale of Genji. Yes, you are absolutely correct. It is the Tale of Genji. And because you knew that, I'm going to give you an extra point. Do I get an extra point because I knew the Japanese title? I know the author too, the Lady Murasaki. <laughs> I gave you an extra point for the fact that you knew what the book was. I can't just keep adding the, points in. Yeah. <laughs> I want this point and this point yeah, and this point. Written in um, approximately 800 BC. 800 yeah. AD, I apologize. Yeah. Either way, amazing. Thank you so much. That's, that, yeah. that, that's made my day. So you I had to read some of it for Japanese class. Yeah, fantastic. But yes. I feel like more people should know that in the Western world. Though. Yeah, the first, the, first, um, the first book that is recognizable as a novel in its form was written by a Japanese noblewoman. Yeah. I love that. Isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome. That's when, I just, when I was researching the questions earlier today, I was like, that's amazing. I love that. I'm so glad this has come up because this is why I'm up, like, my one little random fact. <laughs> goes to show how many good stuff how many good things come out of japan um question three what year was harry potter and the philosopher's stone published avatar yep Wolf. 1993 uh sorry liv i had uh i got uh i had um Cass say first and unfortunately it is not 1993 no. sorry um liv because you buzz next you get to go next what's your guess oh, is it 97 it is 97. Well oh, done. Yes. Oh. Hmm? I was going to say 96, but no, I swear it's 97. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hurrah. 1997 is the correct answer, which, which kind of like made me go, really? It was that recent? Oh, my God. <laughs> You're making us feel old. Now. I feel like I was older yeah, though, when I started really reading old. it. Mm, I don't, yeah, it's I, – I often thought because I was – I was. I'm a '93 baby. I often thought like oh, Harry Potter was around way before I was born, but mm. no. It turns out I was four when it came mm. out. Like Pokemon being 25. I have a funny years old. story of like. Mm. I remember when it first came out. I was in. Um, oh, it was no. It was like Chamber of Secrets mm. or around the second or third book, and I was in hospital. Um, but I was just sick, and I was spending a few days there. And my dad went to go get me a book. And he went and he got me the first and second Harry Potter book. But my older sister was reading them. And I don't know if anyone else here had really possessive reader siblings, whereas yeah, you were reading me. something, they couldn't read it at all or like what? even look at it or breathe in its direction. Yeah. So I was just so, I was like, in bed like, sad, Caitlin's going to get mad at me for reading this. So I made him go return them. Oh, that's so sweet. And bless him, he did. He's probably just oh. like, this is so weird. I just, what? <laughs> I'm older than No, I'm sure there'll be people with siblings who are listening to this and going, yeah, I identify. <laughs> oh, no, I was the sibling. Like, when um, Order of the Phoenix came out, or maybe it was one of the later ones, like, my sister and I would, like, steal it from each other. And at some point, I would lock myself in the car just so I could bring it. <laughs> <laughs> and she couldn't get me. Wow. Yeah, we, we'd have a similar situation too. We'd, I had my mum, my brother and me competing for Half-Blood Prince. And uh, and, every, and there were three bookmarks in it where each oh, person wow, was. Just, just because no one was willing to to compromise on, on – no one was willing to wait. There was no queue to complete Half-Blood Prince. Anyway, let's move on to, <laughs> to question four. William Shakespeare. Is famous for this eloquent line: "All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players." What play is it from? Thor. Thor. I got it. Thor. Twelfth Night. No, no it's not Twelfth Night. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, Olivia. <laughs> oh wait, you, you say Twelfth Night is wrong? Twelfth Night is wrong. Oh, all the world's a stage. Oh, 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 bugger. Um, is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it much to do about nothing? No, it is no, not much not. to do about nothing. Oh, this is Avatar. Um, I know this one. Um, yep. Is it a Midsummer's Night's Dream? It is not a Midsummer Night's Dream. No, it is not. Anyone, anyone want to have another guess or do we give up? Old Bilbo Shakespeare is not like a close friend of mine. <laughs> Bilbo Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I personally call his ghost. No. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. But I remember this phrase because it was on a poster that we had in our English classroom. Mm -hmm. And it had like a picture of the round, yes. you know, theatre in the round where they had like the thing. Yeah. Mm. Thor? Thor? Yep. <laughs> Hamlet? No, it is not Hamlet. Keep, oh, we're just going to have to keep going. Yeah, we're not just going to keep going. You're going to have 46 or 47 guesses. You can't do that. Was it the sonnets? 
Um, it, All right, what's the answer? The answer is it's a comedy. It's called As You Like It. Oh, God, I studied oh, that in year 11. Oh, I think it's As You Like It is where that line comes from. like, not oh. a famous one. <laughs> no, it is Shakespeare is not for me unless, like, it's a screen adaptation. There was actually a really good series um, where I think – you know Moaning Myrtle from the Harry Potter movies? She oh, yeah, Sarah, the, Hen- Sarah, Sarah Henderson. I think Shirley Henderson. Shirley Henderson, sorry. Yeah. Shirley Henderson. Um, yeah. she, they adapted The Taming of the Shrew, where like oh, she agrees yeah. to get married oh. to like some really posh, like fancy guy. And she basically hates him <laughs> or something. And like she throws – or he throws all of her clothes in the pool. I don't know. But like they've got like this back and forth, like angry chemistry, and it's quite fun. Uh, I think that's – Wait, before where it's set in modern times? Yeah, these are yeah. The, like I think it's Shakespeare yeah. retold, and it was the same like group yeah. of, of adaptations as when James McAvoy played Macbeth, and it was yes. in like he was a chef. I love James yeah. McAvoy, and yeah. I watched that, and I found it very boring somehow. Yeah, it's which well, is look, surprising. He, look, it introduced me to the beauty that is James McAvoy, so uh, so I think it balances out in the end. Yeah. Also, Richard Armitage is in it, and he's he also is. very beautiful. Yes, he is. Richard Armitage Say is what? beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, personal friend of the pod, Richard Armitage. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Richard on the pod. Um, please, next time, uh, just let your hair grow long like uh, like Thorin. Yeah, that, that's good for us. <laughs> he could narrate some books for us. He could. He's a fantastic narrator. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, question five: Doctor Mensa is a character in which famous 2017 sci-fi book series? Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Took you a minute. I was like looking at you, Sam. You got to get this. You got to get this. Murderbot. It's Murderbot. It's Murderbot. <laughs> I was like, it's because ne- I had, haven't heard it said. No one said it before. <laughs> I didn't so know how it read it. I, I was just saying, I can't let Sam not appear on a podcast without mentioning Murderbot at least Nicholas once. Nicholas just staring at me intensely. It's like, Sam, you have to get this. Come on, come on. This is for you. I was talking to Joel and um. The last Motorbot books on NetGalley, and he was like, "I've already pre-ordered it. I've already pre-ordered it." Yeah. <laughs> so. um, we have. Two- I'm yet to read them. I've got like the first one on my shelf, and I'm like, I need to read this. <laughs> Me either, but I know I need to, not just because I know mm. Sam and Joel, and they both love it, and they're just like, "You'll love it." Yeah. Mm. Um, but because yeah. I've been saying it for a very long time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have two questions left to go in book fight, and currently the scores are Olivia on two points, Sam on three, and Cass yet to score. But do not worry. The game is still very much up for grabs, particularly with these last two questions. Can I add points like <laughs> Sam did? <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you give me more knowledge, the oh, wow. more knowledge that I have here, then I'll just be like, well, damn. <laughs> Question six. For three points, name this author. A bonus two points are on offer. If you can name them before I mention their first work. I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, on July 19th, 1809. And at the age of one, my father abandoned me. At age two... Wolf. My... <laughs> no way. Is did. it Louisa May Alcott? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, no way you've got this. No way. Um, at the I age... think it's like cause Little Women's set in Massachusetts. Well, Boston, isn't it? Massachusetts? I think so. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Continue. So at, so at age one, my father abandoned me. At age two, my mother died of tuberculosis. So I was taken into a foster family. We sailed to the United Kingdom in 1815 and I attended a grammar school for a short period in Irvine, Ayrshire, Scotland. I became engaged to Sarah Ilmaria Royster before I registered at the University of Virginia in February 1826 to study ancient what? and modern... Yep. Edgar Allan Poe? Well done! Oh. Edgar Allan yeah. Poe is the correct answer. Yeah. I love the way you said it. Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just like, surely it's not, but I couldn't remember. I don't remember him going to the UK, but like the name of his first wife or fiance. Yes. I was like, oh, I know that name. It was. I was about to. Hit, I was about to just because this blo- because I just was reading this today and Edgar Allan Poe. God, he had a depressing life. Yes, he did. He's, yeah, he, he really comes, did. He, he went. He went to uni for one year. For one year, came back and discovered Sarah had married another man, enlisted in the oh. army, got kicked out of the army two years later, and during that time he read. That was when he published his first selection of poems, and he did attributed with the byline by a Bosnian. Bostonian, I think that's how you pronounce the colloquialism. I also Bostonian, saw the I also saw the tribute statue to him and in Boston when I was there. Oh. So did I actually yeah, now that I remember cool. it? Yeah. yeah. And apparently the, one with the duck. 
yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and of course, then I was going to mention, of course, the Raven. And then at the end of the, at the end of it, he died. And apparently, his final words being, "Lord, help my poor soul," which is it's a, a bit grim it's to end a bit, Friday on. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit grim, eh? <laughs> um, but on uh, but on a positive side, live that is one, two, three, four, five points for you. My goodness. Congrats, Liv. And also, if you'd like something a little bit less depressing about Edgar Allan Poe, check out Kate Beaton's um, Harker Vagrant comics about him. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and incredible. Yeah. And she does so much with, like, so little on the page. Mm. And there's a lot about, um, I think he writes, like, fan letters to Jules Verne or something. And he's like, we should be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> and the last panel is, like, a meme that you'll recognise as soon as you open it. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her comics, I love the faces, the expression on them is just kind of yeah. semi-disgruntled. There's <laughs> one in um, her later collection about um, like one of the first women pilots who, I can't remember her name, but she was an Asian woman. And like um, They're just like, hey, stop flexing. Stop doing Top Gun high fives. And she's like, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> stop being cool than all of us men. <laughs> this brings us on to our last question. Um, and while uh, Liv is currently very far out in front, there is a chance for Sam to steal the win, depending on how she goes, or for um, the cast to get some points as well. At um, this point, I'm just going to make up a point about this. <laughs> um, question seven. Name as many books as you can from the Stella long list that didn't make it to the short list. Oh, Yep. Oh, well, that's mean. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, a Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Liv. <laughs> I have to sorry. put the crow Literary sound in again. Savage. Hmm? Yes. Savage. Yep, that's one. Oh, I can't remember the name of the book, but I know it's by Intan Paramedita. Oh. Wanderers or Travelers or something? The, the Wandering, I'll give that to you as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, 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 okay. Oh, God. This is really embarrassing. To be um, fair, you look at a lot of, like, long and short lists for a whole bunch of literary things. Um. Oh, right. Uh, ten. Oh, right. No, no, no. Naughty Simpson. Um, oh, yeah. Song of, Song of the Crocodile. Song of the Crocodile. I'll give you that one. No. <laughs> Gave it to you. You were correct. You got the author right. <laughs> Um, that didn't make it to the book. So, oh. oh, 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 it was by Cass Moore. Oh my, you're flying. I get it. Wow. Yes, you, I'll give that yeah, to you as well. It's Metal Fish Falling Snow. That's the one. That's the one. It's kind of got a similar like title structure to um, Stone Sky Cold Mountain. Yes. Oh, and they were both on the blog, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> you, you've got one left. You've like demolished this. Do I? <laughs> yes, you have. You've demolished this. You've, oh. There's only one left. Is there really? Yeah, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Um, so, so now, in principle, I'm you have to. Completely blanking. I'm really blanking on it. Well, I mean, you, you, you've you've done amazingly, so I'm ha- like, if if you if you're happy to call it now, I can call. <laughs> I can, yep, call it. In the ask, the last one uh, was "Smart Ovens for Lonely People" by Elizabeth Tan. Oh, that was the last cool. one. That's such a good title. It's a great title, isn't it? That's a good title, but I could not remember it. <laughs> um, yeah, my goodness, Liv, you cleaned up. Um, <laughs> well done, yeah, that brings us to the end of book fight, and the scores are Cass, who ended up with zero points. I'm sorry, Cass. That's okay. <laughs> Sam was on three, and then Liv kicked the bejesus out of us with the last two questions and finishes with a casual 12 points. Wow, what a flex. What a flex. I feel like an asshole. No, <laughs> Not at all. Oh, it's, uh... it's an enviable understanding of like, the Australian literary landscape. This is what happens with book fight. It's it, like when you're when you're either organising it or you're pushing it. It's it's a bit all over the place. <laughs> I am surprised that like Mark, who is the boss of content things here, has not found like a book fight pun trophy or something to give to the winner. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, we need a trophy. We'll we need to like up. carry it and like it needs to it's, like it's on your transition. Desk. If, if, you've, if you're the last person to win book fight, it's on your desk. Mm. We need to do. We actually, I probably <laughs> should. I, sh- I probably should like record how many p- the, the total wins, like that people yeah. accumulate over yeah. the course of the year. You need a, a leaderboard on the big TV. Yeah, yeah, we need a leaderboard, and then everyone can get like little trophies, like the Dundies. Yeah. <laughs> 
for context for all of our listeners, for context for all of our listeners, we actually do have a TV on our, in our offices where we see all of the fun stuff that's happening at Booktopia. And I think, um, in terms of the priority of information, the trophies should absolutely Book right up there, right to be at the very damn top. <laughs> <laughs> or if you can't take over the marketing dashboard, we have like a massive whiteboard. Yeah, we'll use the whiteboard instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah, talked about it today. It was like everyone was kind of guessing when Joel would need to reorder Barack Obama's <laughs> A Promised Land <laughs> because it just did so well. It did. That was a, out, out, it's, that was a crazy book. Um, but unfortunately, that brings us to the end of the Weekend Booktopian for another week. Thank you so much to Sam, Cass and Liv, my wonderful guests, for joining us. And be sure to check out all the books we've mentioned today down in the description box. The Weekend Booktopian was produced by myself, Nick Wasiliev, and you can check out hundreds of episodes on our Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud channels, including a wide variety of author interviews, book analysis pieces, and more, including our recent interviews with Lynette Noni and Candace Fox. Also, be sure to check out Booktopia TV on YouTube, or if you cannot get enough of chatting to authors, head to the Booktopian blog, which is curated by Liv, where you can read articles pushed every single day, including our recent post where we provide a guide to the Shadow and Bone books. Thank you so much for listening, and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au